that the title really is a tongue-in-cheek on the how-to of conflict resolution. Because I think that what we find in Scripture, especially in the stories and in the teachings of Jesus, that um, we're called not to fight with each other, but instead to bear one another's burdens and to love one another and to repay evil with good. And so this morning I want us to look at the title of the, ser- of the sermon, and I changed it, so I apologize for that. But the title of this morning's message is the how, how to not kill your enemy. How to not kill your enemy. So if you will bow your heads with me, let's um, prepare our hearts and our minds for this message. Heavenly Father, we want to bring our attention to your spirit and to your presence now. Father, every one of us encounters conflict in our life. It doesn't matter if we're young or if we're old. Conflict is present. Through this morning's teaching and through this whole series, Lord, may you teach us what it means that you have called us to be peacemakers. We ask that you would teach us what each one of us needs to learn here this morning as we continue to approach and be encountered by conflict. May you teach us how to resolve conflicts. Teach us how to have a spirit of reconciliation. Because God, we want to give you honor and glory in all that we do. And we know we fall short. And so we ask that you would take over our will and make it yours. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Everyone... Every one of you is known for something. What are you known for? Are you the funny one? Are you the sarcastic one? Are you the wise one? Are you the hot-tempered one? Are you the angry one? What are you known for? You see, every one of us, whether we know it or not, whether we're intentional or not, we're known by something and for something. Just the natural way that you live your life is how people come to know you by. Oftentimes, I think that we're known by things that we're not intentional about. Right? We're not usually intentional about wanting to be known as a certain someone. Sometimes we're known by something that we wish we wouldn't be known by, and it takes a wife or a husband or someone close to you to tell you, hey, when you say things like that, you're actually being very hurtful. Like, I'm sarcastic, don't know where that came from, but I have had this tendency, and I have had people who were gracious enough over the last 36 years of my life to say, when you say things that way, you really hurt my feelings. Yeah, it's messed up, I know. (laughs) But we're all known for something, mostly unintentionally. I suppose that the better question that I want you to wrestle with this morning I want you to wrestle with it today, tomorrow, and every single day for the rest of your life. It's not so much what are you known for, but how do you want to be known by? How do you want to be known by others? You know, one of the Bible heroes that we come to all the time, and if I'm correct in my explanation of this, only one person that God actually had something super favorable to say about them, and that's David. When I say the name of David, what comes to mind? He is a man after 
You know, which is interesting about that, and that sticks with us, but was David perfect? No, like if David did today what he did then, he would probably spend the rest of his life in jail. He was an adulterer, a fornicator, a murderer, among other things. And yet it is only about him that God says, he is a man after my own heart. And I believe that the reason that God says that about David is because David understood who God was and he understood himself in relation to God and he saw that God was holy and good and everything perfect and David realized that he was not God. David understood what it meant to repent. Just look at Psalm 51 or any number of the Psalms where David basically comes to God in prayer and he says, I know I'm guilty of what I've done and I really don't even deserve mercy, yet I am going to ask for your mercy. You see, for someone to be a man or woman after God's own heart, it's not that you're perfect. It's not that you're righteous. It's not that you're a Seventh-day Adventist. It's that that you understand what repentance means. And that repentance is when we always turn to God and ask God to heal us, to transform us, to make our will his will. You know, this is the kind of person that we all want to be, a person after God's own heart. And yet we often find ourselves being as far away from that as possible. And so I want to continue to ask this question is, who and how do you want to be known by, by others? So I want to look at a story, a very real story about how David shows us what it means to be a man after God's own heart. So if you open up your Bible to 1 Samuel, we don't have a PowerPoint, so I encourage you to open up your Bibles. 1 Samuel 24. I was doing my morning readings. I, I use this system called the Moravian Daily Text. And it's basically just a book, and it gives me three readings, an Old Testament a psalm, and a gospel reading. And they're all pretty thematic. And this week when I was reading this, I think Kara and I were sitting there and she was reading, you know, her own system and I was reading my own system. And I remember turning to her and I said, I'm going to use this story in the sermon because it illustrates exactly what I wanted to share. I was never intending to use this. And so this is just one of those examples when we remain open to the Spirit of God. God shows us and leads us exactly what we need to know. So I want to read from 1 Samuel 24. I'm just going to read, start reading from verse 1. When Saul, Saul was the king of the Israelites at this time. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, those were the enemies, the bad guys, he was told, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Quickly, for those of you that don't understand, know what's going on here. Saul was the king of Israel. He was the first king that God allowed to be king over Israel. So Saul, and by this point in the book of Samuel, Saul has in a sense already been told, you're going to be on your way out. You have disobeyed God. You have not done what God has asked you to do. So there's going to be someone else who is going to take over your kingdom. And he knew that that person was David, which is really weird because David was his armor bearer. David was the one that when Saul was in a bad mood, he would have David brought in so that he could play music and make him feel better. Right? So Saul is king, his understudy or his armor bearer was going to be king, and so, and so Saul is, is pursuing David to kill him. Here's why Saul hated David. There was a saying in those days, 
You know, David was a warrior. He was like a mighty warrior. He was a general. He was a captain. I mean, he was like the man's man to, if you needed someone to go to war, you would send David. So there used to be a saying in the old, in, during this time, and the Israelites would say, Saul kills his thousands, David kills his... Yeah. Saul's ego couldn't handle that someone under him was being regarded, in a sense, as a better warrior than he was. You see, what Saul didn't understand is that he could have claimed credit for David's victories, but his ego wouldn't let him give honor to David and say, yeah, he is on my team. He is a part of who I am. We are all in this together because Saul wanted all the credit. You see, ego gets in the way of us solving so many relationship conflicts in our lives. Our ego is what doesn't allow us to humble ourselves. You see, ego and pride are one and the same, and when we have ego, and you've heard this, ego means edging God out. So when we are offended by something, or we, or we have offended someone, and they come to us, and they say, hey, what you said, like, that was not cool, and that hurt my feelings, ego is what gets in the way and says, well, what did you say to me before? Or you deserve it because, or you know what, get out of here, I don't care about you, like, get out of my face. Like, ego is what takes over in us and doesn't allow us to lift up Christ in how we manage conflict. You see, Saul had ego to the max. He wanted power, he wanted position, and he wanted the accolades that came with being king. But when we let ego get in the way of our conflicts and our resolution, a conflict resolution, you will never find reconciliation. But if you learn the art and the spiritual discipline of humility, it will go a long way. And so Saul, with his ego, wouldn't allow things to, to get better. So it says, then Saul, verse 2, Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel, and he went to look for David and his men in the direction of the rocks of the wild goats. So he takes 3,000 of the chosen men, which was interesting because 3,000 of the chosen men in Israel were no match for David's 300 or 400 or 600 men because David was a valiant warrior. But Saul takes an enormous amount of soldiers because he wanted to kill David. Verse 3, Saul came to the sheepfolds beside the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Like, can you just see this as a movie playing out, right? Or like one of those TV shows, and like David's like, they're probably like hanging out. They hear someone come in, and they're just like, don't say anything. Like, just speak. Like, don't even breathe, right? Like, you could just feel the tension here, right? And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord has said to you, I will give you your enemy into your hands and you shall do to him as it seems good to you, right? So they're basically saying like, the day has finally come, David. You will be king today as soon as you end Saul's life. Like this is what's happening here. And David went, so, um, David went and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's cloak while he was there. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. So God, my Lord, and then his Lord was Saul, the, the smaller letter Lord. For he is the Lord's anointed, and I will not raise my hand against him, for he is the Lord's anointed. So David scolded his man severely and put no permit to them to attack Saul. 
Then Saul got up and left the cave and went on his way. It's really interesting here. Like, God had a plan for David to be the king of Israel. So much so that people today still claim David as the best king in Israel. So much so in, for us as Christians that the Messiah was prophesied to come as part of the lineage of David. David was the best king. David knew that he would be king. Every other king that came after David, the Lord would say and to the prophets, tell these kings to be like, their, like David, their father, who obeyed me and did everything I commanded. Right. So David was the main king, the best king, you know, the main, main guy. And David had every right to take Saul's life that day. But he refused because he says, I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. Now think about this. Let's make this practical. I want you to think about someone you've had a conflict with in the last weeks, months, years. Just someone that when you think about them, you just get really angry. When you hear their name, you're just like, oh, I can't stand that person. The person that like you may be driving in the car and you think of them and you just get really anxious or angry. Like we all have someone that we've had conflict with. Imagine for a moment that you treated that person as though they were the Lord's anointed. Think about that. You know, we talk about faith as being something that must be present in the here and the now. Your faith in God must inform how you live your life here and now. And so if you were to imagine for just a moment that if every person that you had a conflict with, you thought to them as that is the Lord's anointed, like maybe they're not the king of Israel or the king of anything. They might just be an average, ordinary person. But what if you treated them with the same esteem and respect as someone who was anointed by God? I guess another way of us saying this is what if you treated everyone as though they were made in the image of God? Would you learn humility then? And learn to ask for forgiveness when you have wronged someone. Or when you have been the one who wronged someone, are you open to hearing that that other person was hurt by you? And are you humble enough to be able to accept and give forgiveness? So I want to skip to verse 16. The part of the story I told you where Saul wants to kill David, that's what we're skipping. Verse 16 says this. Oh no, so here's what happened, sorry. David, so Saul leaves the cave. David comes out and he says, hey, Saul, hey, Saul, right? And so Saul turns around and he says like, hey, Saul, I could have killed you, basically is what he said. So let's look at verse 16. When David had finished these words, Saul said to them, him, is this your voice, my son David? So he, he assumes he wasn't sure if it was David. And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. So he says, this is you, David. This is the guy I was coming after to kill and you didn't kill me. And he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I would have repaid you with evil. Think about this for a second. Saul was en route to kill David. In America today, if David had killed him, we would have said, well, that was self-defense. He's not going to go to jail. He's fine. Like, let's just put it in context. Saul was going after David to end his life so that he could remain as king for as long as he could. David had the opportunity literally in his hands to take the life of Saul, who he had every right to end his life. He would have been acting in self-defense, literally in self-defense. And David doesn't do what others expected him to do, but instead he treats Saul 
as the Lord's anointed, as someone made in the image of God who was wonderfully and fearfully made, regardless of what he had done with God, right? He disobeyed God. Regardless of that relationship, David chose to see him still as the one who was created in the image of God and one who is the Lord's anointed. And I will ask you this question right now. If you were to treat other people especially those that you have a problem with as the Lord's anointed, how would that change the way you resolve conflicts in your life? And I guess even a better question is, how would you avoid getting into conflicts in your life if you treated people with love and honor, dignity, and respect? Now, I know this is a story. This is one of the finer moments in David's life, one of the finest moments in his life. And yet David, after this, does all kinds of terrible things, but yet he keeps coming back to ask God for forgiveness. Now, I had in my notes that we were going to read Psalm 51, but there's a couple other verses I want to get to. So you can read that when you get home, Psalm 51, and see if you can't relate to what David is saying in Psalm 51 whenever we've committed our sins. You know, the secret weapon in fighting like a Christian isn't having the better argument. It's not having the better facts. It's not having, and it's not winning. But to win as a Christian in a Christian fight is to be the first to offer forgiveness or ask for forgiveness. The central story of your faith, if you are a Christian that believes in the Bible, the central story of your faith is that an innocent man who did nothing to harm others lays his life down so that he would forgive your sins. That is the central defining story of your faith. That is the defining story of the universe and of history that a man forgives those who don't deserve it. So if you were to act like David and if you were to act like Jesus and you were to be the first one to offer forgiveness or to ask for forgiveness— to own up to what you've done, you would be winning the fight as a Christian because Christianity is about reconciliation, resolution, and forgiveness. Now, so let's go to this next verse in Matthew chapter 5, just to show you from, from Jesus' mouth. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Matthew 5, verse 21, okay? Remember, winning, winning a Christian, <laughs> fighting like a Christian and winning the fight is to offer forgiveness. Look at verse 21. It says this, Jesus' words now. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. So basically, Jesus is saying, you've heard the Ten Commandments, and it says, don't murder. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So, again, he's saying, like, if you've done these things that we have all done. You see, we think that we're okay because we're following the Ten Commandments and we're not murdering someone physically. So we think we're okay. We think, like, well, that, that's an easy one. But, you know, Jesus takes the Ten Commandments and he says, okay, like, you've been keeping them pretty good for a while, but let me show you the, the, what's underneath this, the why you're doing this. And Jesus says, if you hate someone, if you're angry with someone, it's the same as though you have murdered someone. Think about that. You know, if I were to think of myself and I think of myself, I'm so angry with someone, 
What I'm basically saying is, like, I'm guilty of committing murder. So verse 23, so this is all of us. Listen, we're, we're all in this. Maybe not all of us, but there's many of us who have been angry with someone. And we are liable to the judgment. And this is what Jesus says to you if you're this person. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, back then in the first century, people would bring gift offerings to the altar. A very sacred, religious ritual, right? So maybe like if you're coming to church, okay? Like for today, if you're coming to church, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Think about what Jesus is saying here. First of all, he's asking you to be self-aware, because he says, if you know that you have hurt someone, go to them and ask for forgiveness. And what's more important to Jesus than just going through the religious rituals of our lives, more important to Jesus than you just coming to church, is that you go and be reconciled to the people that you have hurt. Because if you are the one, now listen to this, right? It's not, if you are the one who has offended someone, who has hurt someone, Jesus doesn't say when they come and ask you to, like, and, t- and tell you that you've hurt them, then you can ask for forgiveness. But Jesus says, instead of waiting for someone to come and tell you, you have to be self-aware enough to know that you are the one that is hurting someone. And if you know that you are hurting someone, you must go to that person and ask for forgiveness. You see, if you have ego, you won't ask for forgiveness. If you are too prideful, you're not going to ask for forgiveness. But if you want to follow the way of Jesus, you must learn to be more humble and let go of ego so that you can go and ask for forgiveness. And you know who you've hurt. You can't tell me and say, well, I don't know if I've hurt anyone. No, we know. We know when we've hurt someone for the most part. And it is your Christian duty to go and seek forgiveness from that person. If you're the one that's been hurt, it's your Christian duty to give them forgiveness. That's the other hard part. But Jesus says, be reconciled first before you put on the mask of, oh, I'm a good Christian. Go and be reconciled because that is more important. You see, and I've often heard people say this, um, you know, I, I come to church so I can be close to God. I'm not here for this person or for that person. But I have to share with you from a biblical perspective, your relationship with God is interconnected with your relationship with each other. And so your relationship with God is, you know, vertical in a sense, right? God, us, but it's also horizontal. And the Bible is clear that if you hate a brother or a sister, you are guilty of committing murder. And to fight like a Christian is for the offender to go and seek forgiveness always. And it never hurts for you to ask for forgiveness. Like you could say, hey, I'm not sure if what I said was mean. I'm sorry. That other person might say like, oh, no, I know you weren't being serious. Or no, I wasn't offended. But if you constantly have this posture of always asking for forgiveness and seeking reconciliation, I guarantee you, your life will not only change, but you will be living proof of what it means to be someone who walks in the path that Jesus has set before us. And then we will be a city on a hill that light, that shines light for others to see. You see, as a church, I want us to be a church 
that does reconciliation so well that people, when they come, you know, we may not be the best at everything, but they will at least know like that church knows what it means to be reconciled and forgiven to each other. You know, if you're ever mad at someone, and this is something I was just sharing with Kara, I said, I feel like whenever we're mad at someone for doing something and they just really make us so angry because of something, if you have enough self-awareness and humility, you will know that you are probably guilty of what is making you angry in them. That's biblical. I can't remember where it's found, but it's there. I'll find it next week. <laughs> but when you're angry at someone, it's because you're guilty of the very same thing. And Jesus says we must be a community that is constantly forgiving, asking for forgiveness. To be a man or a woman after God's own heart is for you to be one who treats others as though they are the Lord's anointed. And by the way, those of you who have accepted Jesus as your Savior, you are marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. You are symbolically, metaphorically, and legally sealed with the Spirit of God. And when you are sealed with someone, it is the same metaphor as someone who is anointed with oil. And so we are, we are all anointed if we've accepted Jesus. So I encourage you and I beg you that we would treat each other as the Lord's anointed. Treat your wife as the Lord's anointed. Treat your husband as the Lord's anointed. Treat your significant others as the Lord's anointed. Treat your coworkers, whether they're Christian or not, treat them as the Lord's anointed. They are made in the image of God. Treat others as though they are the Lord's anointed. And I'll finish with this proverb. Proverb 29 verse 11 tells us this. A fool gives vent to anger, but the wise quietly holds it back. A fool gives vent to anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. So how do we not kill our enemies? It's to treat them the way God would treat them, to love them, to be patient with them, to encourage them, but also have an awareness and a posture that you might be the offending party hurting someone else. And it is your Christian duty to seek forgiveness, seek reconciliation, because we are the body of Christ. And if one member, if one relationship hurts, we all hurt. So may we be the people that God has called us to be.